Our guests this morning are Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Ecognosis Advisory. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Andrew. Hi, good morning. Hi, good morning. And uh, we're joined by Pooja Malik, a partner at Nippon Capital. Good morning, Pooja. Good evening, I should say, Pooja. <laughs> good evening, my time, but good good morning, your time. Um, so we had CPI numbers overnight, and they showed a bit of a mixed reading, with energy and housing uh, pr- pushing the numbers higher, but non-core numbers showing signs of moderating. So how does this actually position the Fed for the November meeting? I'll start with you, Andrew. Um, I'm afraid it shows incredibly clearly that the, econ- that the inflation has stabilized and is actually falling. I have no idea uh, how possibly the market can interpret it otherwise, but then I'm not a market. I'm little old Andrew Ferris. I'm looking at uh, CPI year-on-year basis, flat, month-on-month basis coming down. CPI core year-on-year falling continuously since June, and CPI month-on-month flat. So all I see it is inflation, flat, to fall in. Now, the market somehow interpreted that inflation is going up, and therefore the Fed is likely not only to stand, not only to stand hold, but actually to increase interest rates, and that's why both the equity and the bond uh, yield sold off. Well, okay, good luck to them. <laughs> what can I do? <laughs> and Pooj, what's your take on the CPI? Yeah, it's true that inflation is trending down. Nevertheless, the level seems very sticky and high. So we're still at 3.9 annualized or 3.7, whatever the number's coming out to be, which is way ahead of the Fed target at 2%. And I think the Fed was on the edge last time, too, if you read the notes from what they say. So, you know, in terms of data, we're exactly at the same place where we were last time, and last time they chose you know, not to do anything. So it could go either way, and Andrew's right. The market interpreted it pretty hawkishly, but if you look at expectations right now, it's exactly 50-50 in terms of whether the Fed is likely to hike or not. It's also going to be, I think, interesting to see what the Fed is thinking about energy and oil prices given the situation in the Middle East. And that has to be on their mind right now, where you know oil did spike initially, but then settled back down lower today, given the big stockpile in the U.S. So the data at this point is similar to where it was a month ago. But then looking forward, there could be signs of a further spike. And you know that is something that would be concerning to the Fed. But if you take out the energy prices, I mean, we look at the consumer side, and it doesn't show signs of totally slowing down. I mean, the housing rentals prices were going up. Housing market itself has been relatively stable. The job numbers have been pretty strong. Um, so would the Fed also not be looking at the domestic side and saying, well, on the consumers and the job numbers, we're not necessarily seeing those come off. So maybe we don't need to. I mean, maybe we can do another rate hike. And I'll start with you, Pooja, this time. Yeah, I agree with you on that. They could. And also, if you look at corporate earnings in the U.S., they have been very resilient. Added to the fact that, you know, in the U.S., most companies have debt that is fixed term, not floating term. So if you look at the net interest expense for U.S. corporate sector, so non-banking companies, the net interest expense for U.S. non-banking companies has actually come down significantly because companies are not investing in the businesses as much, and the cash they're generating is is earning a nice yield, and most of their interest, uh, almost their debt, is is locked in because it's on fixed rate 
loans that were taken a few years ago. So the corporate sector is also looking pretty healthy, which would mean that the Fed could actually increase rates and not risk a recession. And I think that's important for you know your listeners and investors as well, is that even if the Fed hikes, let's say 25 basis points this time, the economy could still prove to be quite resilient and you know, avoid a recessionary scenario, at least in the U.S. Well, Manji, Pooja makes a good point there about the corporates. I mean, they are a number of the larger ones have quite high levels of cash, so they're actually generating yields on that. And that is actually a positive, is it not? And therefore can allow for the Fed to, I mean, or um, the country to absorb a further rate hike. Yeah, I will agree with that. But can I do something which is much, much more obvious? You know, GDP numbers are passed, okay? They really, really tell you absolutely nothing about the future, yeah. right? But uh, this idea that somehow the United States is going to go through a recession if the Fed was to increase and if the economy continues to be that strong, then we are running that particular risk. I'm afraid essentially it is basically nonsense. On quarter-to-quarter basis, the American economy has been growing for three quarters. Every quarter, it went up. And on a year-to-year basis, it's even worse. It has done exactly the same. It has been accelerating, not decelerating. So for this to really stand on its head suddenly, to reverse direction, okay, we have to look at the rest of the data inside the economy, and there's just no sign. So I'm afraid this could argue that the Fed will take the same view that I'm taking. Ha! That will be the case. All right. And simply say the economy is strong enough, and therefore the inflation that we're looking at is not going to be tamed in the short run. Therefore, we can increase interest rates. But, you know, this is what absolutely despairs me, because whatever happened, okay, is going to be the wrong answer. You know, once upon a time, the Fed used to be faced with a conundrum. Have you stopped beating your husband? Question. Whatever you say, it's wrong. Okay. If you say, yes, I was... I'm still beating him. If I say no, is uh, uh, no, I will carry on beating him. So the Fed and the numbers in front of you is a thankless task as guidance. So I'm afraid I stopped using them. Okay, not because uh, they don't agree with what I do, because it's completely idiotic. It doesn't matter what I think. What matters what the matters are thinking. And of course, the, mat- the markets are thinking in a completely contradictory way. So I stick to what I consider to be reasonably good expectations in terms of earnings and in terms of growth, why not look at specific sectors and specific companies within the sectors, and I leave uh, the forecasting of Fed to somebody else. Include me out, as they say. Well, you talk about the market, and you're saying, I mean, you seem to sound very bullish on them, actually, and certain sectors I will qualify in certain companies. Um, no, we've had this led by the large caps. So do you think that's going to continue because they've got the cash reserves and therefore they're generating yield? Or is there other sectors and areas that people should look at? Again, I repeat that. Anything that starts from the idea of uh, higher interest rates or lower interest rates, I leave it aside, okay, because it leads continuously to contradictory statements. I prefer to actually look at specific sectors and specific companies that are not driven by interest rates. They are not necessarily driven by expectations about GDP that, as I say, you look at the numbers and they look contradictory. GDP is doing fine. So strictly speaking, the S&P should be continuously increasing now. So I'm afraid I'm not not answering to your question. I'm simply saying there are other things that I think are far more germane to making a reasonably good investment decision rather than saying big corporates have got a lot of cash, therefore the yields for that are increasing. Well, will this affect their earnings? Well, that's a different question altogether, I'm afraid. That's a very fair point. 
Um, so, Pooja, um, we've had, obviously, the issues in the Middle East. We've got the Israel-Hamas tensions going on. How is that going to affect the markets? Because at the moment, it doesn't seem to, the markets don't seem to be too riled by it and seem to have been taking it in the stride pretty well. You're absolutely right. You know, even though from a humanitarian crisis, I think this is one of the worst things we have seen in a very long time. But you're right, the markets have seemed to shrugged it off completely. The the risk there, of course, was uh, if the U.S. or the developed world sanctions Iran and that results in an impact on oil prices, how does that impact the global economy? And the likelihood of that is also looking smaller than before as of, of today. So it does seem like there's a spillover effect right now as long as the conflict is contained. But if you do start seeing the other Middle East and Arab nations start getting involved, then, of course, right, things could expand quite a bit. The other angle here is that, you know, with global resources um, coming in to help Israel, does that take away from the aid to Ukraine and what happens in the Russia-Ukraine situation? So I think that's something also to keep an eye on. But broadly speaking, you're right. The market seems to have shrugged it off. And, you know, coming back to the earlier conversation on rates, I think the rates also have um, an impact on foreign exchange and our currencies in Asia and emerging markets, right? So I would be keeping an eye on that as well because, you know, the dollar has strengthened quite a bit, even in the last, I would say, four to six weeks. Um, And so with the Middle Eastern situation blowing up, I think the things to keep an eye on are, one, does the conflict escalate to oil prices and then you know, third, of course, exchange rates and currencies. And Andrew, what's your take on the Middle East? Um, will that scupper some of your bullishness? Uh, remember, my bullishness is absolutely relative. Okay, I'm not bullish about the markets. I'm bullish about specific sectors and companies. Okay, coming back to the Middle East, the reason why the market seems to have completely shrugged off the war uh, is based on something okay, that I'm afraid is fairly indisputable, and that is the overwhelming majority of the Arab countries are not going to enter uh, blindly on the side uh, of Hamas because they are hugely divided between themselves of how much or how little Hamas should be or could be supported. They cannot, of course, possibly say that Hamas is wrong and Israel is right. Okay, that would be absurd to expect that. But uh, apparently Hamas is being supported by Iran. Iran is a Shia uh, Muslim country, and Hamas is, is a Sunni. The overwhelming majority of the Arab countries surrounding Israel are all Sunni. So it's a, it's a, it's a little bit uh, peculiar set of circumstances. And if what I have been reading appears to be correct, the reason why Hamas made this desperate move to, in inverted commas, attract attention is precisely because it's been continuously marginalized with, for example, the Saudis, the leaders of the Sunni, okay, were actively negotiating to recognize Israel. So I'm not surprised that the majority of the Arab countries rightly okay, said, well, this is very bad, we cannot possibly support what Israel is doing. Okay. But at the same time, they are going to change drastic uh, position vis-a-vis Israel. They won't. Okay. Um, we've only got about a minute left, um, so let's just quickly touch on um, China. I mean, let's go back locally. And uh, still seeing some uh, tensions over there, especially in the property market, Country Garden missing um, payments. 
How are we going to sort this out? Like I ask this all the time. So I'll give 30 seconds to you, Andrew, and then I'll give 30 seconds to Pooja. Yeah, so the, the excellent news in China is that they are going to increase the fiscal deficit. I think this is absolutely essential. It's totally affordable for China, and perhaps it will put flesh on the famous 30 to 33 individual policy measures they had promised they are going to implement in order for the economy to recover. Now we're having the backing of the fiscal deficit. Excellent news. Okay. Let's see it happen. <laughs> Great. Uh, and Pooja, um, your thoughts on China? Yes, I still think the property sector um, issue takes a long time to play out. Even with more spending, it's not something that's going to get resolved overnight. So I would still be very cautious. And, you know, this could be a three to five year recovery cycle. The other good news is that the government is now, um, you know, through its different entities and directly seems to be buying stocks, especially banking stocks, right? Yeah. And so while the magnitude of that buy has been small, it is a huge signal to the market that the government is looking to step in and provide stability. So that's a big positive that we haven't seen all year. All right. Well, thank you very much. That's all we have time for. So I'd like to thank both Andrew Ferris, the CEO of eCognosis Advisory, and Pooja Malik, a partner at Nipun Capital, for coming in. Thank you, guys.